I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're here on a Thursday morning, breaking down all things NFL, namely some bold predictions, Sam. You ready to go? Well, I'm here. Where are you? I'm down in Nashville. Down in Nashville. Taking Just, in uh, some uh, Traylon Burks highlights. Bucks, Bucks Titans practice over here. A little joint practice action. So I'm trying to uh, take it all in and watch, watch these teams uh you know the joint practices are really valuable because you get a lot of reps so i'm here to watch as they lead into their uh saturday night preseason game who's uh anybody stood out so far not tom brady not tom brady no 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 i'm one one practicing i'm heading to practice right after we record this and uh yesterday the titans offense actually stood out their receivers racy mcmath and Traylon burks before he got hurt they were behind the bucks secondary over and over and over again. So uh, based off one showing, the Bucks are going to give up 6,000 passing yards Dang. and the Titans offense, you know, it, it's going to be explosive. They're going to have big playability because of the four or five plays that I saw. Mm. Okay. I mean, I, I don't see any flaw in that process. <laughs> Works for me. So that's, so that's it. The, uh, the receivers are standing out as always Bucks receivers, Titans receivers, Bucks secondary thumbs down so far. <laughs> okay. That's a, that's a very concise uh, training camp report from our man on location. Look, I'm not I'm not as seasoned as some of the other beat reporters who know how to like track completion percentage and have you know ten positives and ten negatives. It's tough to see everything at training camp, especially in a joint practice. So I was you don't get to see both teams all the time. Let me give you a little uh, a little hint to catapult you to the top because I was on Kansas City radio yesterday. And it, I think it was the day that multiple people had been carted off uh, from the training, from the field, right? But if you've ever been to the Kansas City training camp, it's like down a giant hill, you know, the, the field. It's like, so if you're in any way, shape, or form leaving practice with an injury, you're not hauling your ass up the giant hill. You're riding the cart. But so that the Kansas City radio station would specify they read they they rode in the front seat. It's not a bad you know, it's not a problem if they're in the front seat. If they're on the back of the cart, now we might have concerns. But Mikol Hardman, you know, was off the field, talked to the trainers, and then got in the front seat of the cart and left. Front seat guy. You know, yeah. went up the hill. So you need to that those are the layers of detail that I expect to for, you know, our man on location. Noted. I'm going to uh, make sure we've got some more details coming out of camp when I'm over there today. Mm-hmm. All right, buddy. What else we got here? Uh, charity drive. Trying yep. to see you throw sixty miles an hour. I think I had a dream that you were throwing in the forties. Come on, look. So we got an it's email. Coming in. It's coming back to me. Okay. The my pin tweet at pff underscore sam is where you find where you will find the GoFundMe. Also, the description for this podcast. We appreciate any donation, big or small. We've had uh, donations as large as two hundred, I think, in this one, and as small as five dollars. We appreciate them all. We got an email in that I think really gets to the really gets to what your problem with this is, right? 
because you keep saying, you know, 40s and all these kind of things. This one, it was the bottom of an email, actually, just a PS from somebody called Bobby Nelson, who said, if Sam throws within 15 miles an hour of you, Steve, I think you need to do something special because that should not happen. That's what's at the root of all this. You cannot possibly, you know, stomach the concept that me having never thrown a baseball can roll in there and be within 15 miles an hour of former minor league pitcher at this current state of your life. That's what's going on here. Maybe. Maybe. Well, having stood in front of the 75 miles an hour, I think there's a pretty high chance that happens. No, no, I don't think you, I still don't think you, the, the heart of it is, yeah, maybe Steve would like to throw higher, you know, better than 74 here in his 40s. The, the other aspect of it is I know how difficult it is to throw a baseball. <laughs> I know how difficult it is to yeah, throw it, it at might, a high level. It might be very and, difficult. Uh, I, I think you're underestimating the difficulty. I think it's tremendously difficult to throw a baseball at 95 miles an hour. I don't think it's very difficult at all to throw it at 60 miles an hour. I know. We'll see. Can we save that? Interns, get on that. Yeah, save that clip. Bookmark that save clip because that. that's probably going to be useful down the line. All right. So at PFF underscore Sam, it's the uh, it's the pins tweet, and I can't wait to see it. Appreciate everybody who has already donated and people who are considering. Uh, we've had some great success with previous charity drives, and we're just trying to continue to push that forward and, and do some fun stuff for for charities. I tell you, I will say though, I've got we've got the radar gun in the garage. I keep saying to my next door neighbor that we need to go down and you know throw a ball and just see where we are <laughs> from, from a number standpoint. I'm gonna be so smug. If we do that and it's 60 already, you know, and I can just relax and be like, yeah, this is not a problem anymore. If it comes in, it's like 45. Now I've got, oh, uh oh, now there's going to be now we've got to do some work to try and get anywhere near the 60. But if we roll out there calling me to train. Yeah. But if I roll out there and it's like 61 already, now I can just be, you know, unfeasibly smug for the next however long it takes until we actually do this. All right, buddy. Well, good luck. Hmm. See what happens. We will see what happens. Go ahead and check out Sam's pinned tweet at PFF underscore Sam. Um, We definitely want to get into some bold predictions for the season. But if you haven't heard by now, underdog fantasy is the best and easiest place to play fantasy football this summer. We've all been there in fantasy football leagues. It's Sunday morning. You're digging through news reports, trying to figure out whether to start your stud wide receiver who tweaked his hamstring or have a player on your team who hasn't been getting in the end zone. And then one week, he suddenly goes off for 30 points on your bench. Without underdog fantasy, all the stress of who to start each week is lifted off your shoulders because it's best ball format. Draft your teams before the season starts and get the best score in your lineup each week. Right now, you can draft an underdog's best ball mania three uh, three tournament to take your shot at $10 million in total prizes. Plus, underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with the promo code PFF. It's best ball mania three also, if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. Underdog drafts close just before NFL kickoff. So what are you waiting for? Head to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store, play $10 with code PFF, and draft your best ball mania team today. All right, Sam, you wrote some articles over at PFF.com, breaking down some of uh, some bold predictions. Why don't we preface what these are? They're bold predictions. Mm. How's that? Any other caveat you want to throw out here for the listeners before you get more calls like Sam Monson says? 
Uh, no, I mean, just, you know, the bold predictions are by definition designed to not necessarily be the most likely thing to happen. Otherwise, they would just be, you know, expectations. Uh, so they are things that are probably not that likely to happen, but I think I've got a good shot of happening. And in this podcast in particular, we'll distill it down to a few that I actually do quite like the chances of, as opposed to there was what three per team. And then all the teams in the NFL, it's a lot of bold predictions. We don't have time for that on this kind of show. So we'll distill it down to a few, uh, choice ones and talk them out. All right, well, why don't, you, why don't you kick it off? Give me a bold prediction for the season and uh, one that maybe you do actually believe in. Trey Lance is going to wind up with a top 15 grade at quarterback. Wow. You say that, and yet, it. I mean, it's the 49ers not... 49ers QB, yeah. Yeah, it's not that unlikely. I, I think, okay, number one, remember, rewind to when they drafted him, and it was actually even before they drafted Trey Lance, the idea was that whoever the 49ers take at number three overall is going to be the favorite for rookie of the year because he steps into Kyle Shanahan's offense, which, as we know, tin cup, the man can create magic out of almost nothing. And then as it turned out, they drafted Trey Lance. They didn't like the idea of him starting right away. Jimmy Garoppolo got the, the majority of the playing time, um, and we didn't really get to see Trey Lance. So we're still dealing with this tiny sample size of Trey Lance between preseason his college career is a tiny sample size. Pretty much everything we're working from is almost no playing time whatsoever. But the theory, I think, still holds, which is Trey Lance, his arm, his rushing threat within that offense, and all the things that allows Kyle Shanahan to do schematically can create some freaking magic. It's also true, I think, that quarterbacks that have like a real ability to run the ball you know, can boost their PFF grade. So Jalen Hurts, I think, is a good example last year. Jalen Hurts finished, what, ninth overall in terms of PFF grade, despite being way further down than that from a passing point 20th, of view. 19th or 20th, I believe, in passing grade, yep. Yeah. So if Trey Lance, you know, can bring that rushing threat. And look, Jalen Hurts is a, good, is a good running quarterback, but he's not, you know, Lamar Jackson. Like, there's a distinct drop between the kind of devastating, never-seen-before type of rushing threat and what Jalen Hurts brings to the table. So I think comparing Trey Lance and Jalen Hurts' rushing ability is not unreasonable. And then I think comparing their passing ability right now is not that unreasonable. Um, it's possibly a little bit optimistic for Lance right away, but I, I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibilities. This meshes with one of your other bold predictions that the 49ers lead the league in rushing yes. this year. And so with Trey Lance, you know, the bold part of it for me is that, you know, the grading part of it, because you're talking about us grading those throws and adding the context and, you know, the plays that he gets away with. He did have a lot of turnover worthy plays last year, both in the preseason and in his regular season outings. Uh, if you said, Hey, Trey Lance is going to be top five in EPA per play. If you want to call that a QB stat or efficiency or whatever you want to call it, I say, Oh yeah, that's, that's not crazy. That's what Kyle Shanahan does. He has a history of taking, QB 15 and and still ranking in the top five in EPA per play as a team in the past game. So yeah, top 15 grade, man, that puts the Niners in the Super Bowl conversation, Sam, <laughs> because when you, when you put that with Kyle Shanahan, that's what that usually leads to a top five passing offense. And you had the rushing component, probably a top five rushing offense as well, um, just from an efficiency standpoint. So if this does come to fruition, 
the Niners are right there with the Rams in the NFC West. And uh, it's it's a big year to explain this or to, to, to see this come about because Trey Lance, the guy they picked over Jimmy Garoppolo, a guy that's taken him to the NFC Championship and the Super Bowl. Yeah, just want to correct my Jalen Hurts numbers. He ranked uh, 10th in, in overall PFF grade for quarterbacks last season and was 15th from a passing grade standpoint. That's just the regular season. But the 15th was with a number of 73.4, which puts him in the last year's Matt Ryan, the Jimmy Garoppolo area. You know, the, it's not a tremendously uh, taxing number for a guy like Trey Lance to be able to hit year one, even if you, you know should, he throws the ball to the defense a little bit. You should add in the playoffs there because that did drop. Did drop. Playoff game. It did. All right, this is a bold prediction for Sam from Sam. Trey Lance, top 15 quarterback. I'm going to give... Um, yeah, he went all the way down to the 20th with the playoffs. There you go. That's what, that's what I said, right? 19th or 20th? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go... My prediction here, um, assuming Tom Brady's back for the Tampa Bay Bucks, Julio Jones is going to lead the Bucks in receiving touchdowns. Receiving in touchdowns. touchdowns. Julio Jones, who has been allergic to the end zone yeah. his entire career. He'll be on the same team as Mike Evans, who has been a touchdown machine, especially with Tom Brady. I think this is when the year that Julio Jones, who looks, by the way, by report from camp, is Julio Jones can't be number 85 anymore. I'm like, oh, who's... Who's number 85, the new tight end for the Bucs? Oh, that's Julio. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't look right as number 85. So if he changes his number from 85, he'll lead the Bucs in receiving touchdowns over Mike Evans, over Chris Godwin, over Kyle Rudolph, and Julio Jones going to set a career-high 15-plus touchdowns this year after years of uh, disappointing fantasy owners as a guy that just had a bunch of yards but never really found the end zone. Julio Jones is arguably the greatest receiver of his generation. He has one season in his career with double-digit touchdowns. Adam Thielen is working off back-to-back double-digit touchdown seasons, and Adam Thielen's kind of getting towards the end. You know what I mean? Like, how is it possible? This is like Brandon Graham, right? Brandon Graham not finishing plays yeah not not sacking the quarterback but at least you can kind of point to some elements of brandon graham's game and say yeah look he he doesn't necessarily have the kind of tight turning circle that some of these other guys have and there are some like athletic limitations relative to these you know incredibly dynamic uh best pass rushers in the nfl you literally can't really point to anything and say that's why julio jones doesn't get the touchdowns he's good at everything like even I don't buy the idea that he doesn't work in short spaces because there's too many plays where he does and he's dominating in those areas. Like, and if nothing else, the size and, a, you know, the, the kind of the size and catch radius and sideline ability that he has should mean that he's got a ton of touchdowns just from that. Even if he can't, you know, run a short three yard whip route in the end zone, like it, it doesn't make any sense. And so my prediction here is look, you're right. Like Julio. Julio should have eight touchdowns a year just in the fade game, right? Just fades and back shoulders alone and I because hate of fades. his ball skills. And, and Brady and Mike Evans have really had that type of connection, right? If you leave them one-on-one, it's fade, it's back shoulder, use the catch radius. I, I think Brady might be able to extract that out of Julio Jones this year. So you think this is just a uh, like a, a regression in the, the right direction? He finally has a quarterback that can make it happen? Or you think Tom Brady is going to make it his personal mission to add 25 touchdowns to Julio Jones's career and put him like back where he should be? He should. I think it's a little bit of both. You know, Brady's going to say, look, Julio, you're down. You're down in the touchdown department. We got to get that Hall of Fame resume looking really shiny. 
get you those touchdowns. Yeah. And then also schematically, if, you know, opposing teams are really focused on the other big receivers around, you know, that the Bucks are throwing out there, and especially Mike Evans, Julio's got some opportunities there. Because Julio's got 67 touchdowns, including the playoffs, in 11 years. Steve like, Largent had 100. Yeah. <laughs> like, Tom Brady's like, dude, I mean, if I get you 25, I'm only chewing back like three years. Still, I'm not even getting you anywhere getting near you you know, where you should be. All right, 25 touchdowns for Julio to get him uh, creeping back toward Hall of Fame status as a touchdown creator. All right, what do you have, Sam? What other bold predictions here? Um, I think the Carolina Panthers might make a wild card push. Oh, all in on Baker here, huh? Yeah, I mean, all in in terms of Baker Mayfield's going to win the starting job and be competent at quarterback, which I think I think is probably people are underestimating how important that is, you know? They thought they had a competent quarterback for three games last year, and then, you know, Sam Darnold collapsed, and so did everything else. And all the moves that they'd made in terms of, hey, we think we're a playoff team, let's, let's go aggressive and make some trades and blah, blah. No. Uh, they have that now. Like, Baker Mayfield looks back to where Baker Mayfield should be when he isn't playing with a torn shoulder. Um, and, look, I, people will still point out, ah, oh, it was in his non-throwing shoulder. Right. Like that excuses it. And, you know, and I, I get the idea that, you know, being injured here shouldn't necessarily affect the accuracy of this arm or a decision. It shouldn't affect decision making, quote unquote, in terms of why did he just throw the ball to a safety? But it does. Right. If you've got a really, really injured shoulder. Remember, this thing was like separated and there was a fracture in there as well. Like this shoulder was wrecked. And on any given play. There's a 300-pound guy about to drive that shoulder into the turf and or fall on top of it or both. You're telling me that isn't affecting the process with which you are, you know, scanning the field, identifying where you want to throw the ball and how quickly you're getting it out of your hands, right? I would argue that having that bad of an injury is a permanent um, factor in determining what your decision-making process is a quarterback and not one that's helping it. So Baker Mayfield's decision-making getting worse and worse as the year wore on, I think is absolutely connected to that shoulder, as is the accuracy, because, you know, having a wrecked shoulder on the other side isn't doing you any help. So I really think you have to throw out last year for Baker Mayfield's analysis. And the problem with Baker Mayfield is you have to throw out like a lot of his career at this point, because you've got last year injured shoulder. You got the Freddie Kitchens year where everything was so bad, everybody got fired at the end of it. You've got half a season where it was, you know, right fresh to the offense with Kevin Stefanski, rolled right into a game against Baltimore and Pittsburgh, two of the most uh, troublesome defenses in terms of I don't quite have a grasp of what I'm doing yet, and oh, God, there's blitzes everywhere. Ah, Throw the ball to the defense. And then, you know, so we're already at like that's half of his career gone, more than half of it. So the sample size of what you can actually take and evaluate for Baker Mayfield is getting smaller by the day, but – that sample size is all pretty good. It's not great, and it's, it's maybe a letdown over what they thought they were going to get when they drafted a guy number one overall. But the difference between that and Sam Darnold is, like, light years. It's unbelievable. So qu- competent quarterback play with an improved offensive line, with a receiving core that's good, with a healthy, maybe, Christian McCaffrey, with a defense that's got a lot of talent, the Panthers can push for the playoffs. 
It's not crazy, but man, you're, you might sit here at the end of the year and saying, Hey, it's another year. We can't evaluate Baker Mayfield. Yeah. The offensive line looks improved on paper, but eh, is it really, we don't know what we're going to get from Iki Iquanu, the rookie left tackle, Brady Christensen at left guard, potentially Pat Elfline battling Bradley Bozeman at center. It's not like it's an incredible offensive line. They got Taylor Moton. They've got Austin Corbett. It is better. And I do like the receivers. I think those receivers will benefit playing with Baker than, you know, much more than they did playing with Sam Darnold. And like you mentioned, McCaffrey being back, running back or not, makes an impact for this team. So, yeah, it's not crazy, but um, it's still an uphill battle. Yeah, which is why it's a, it's a bold take here from Sam. All right, I'm going um, – I mentioned this one before. Mm-hmm. I think the Denver Broncos are the odd team out in the AFC West. I think the Broncos are not going to make the playoffs. I don't feel good about it. I don't feel good about this because it, it doesn't match my previous narratives, Sam. My previous narratives are, man, the Broncos look really good, nice roster, add a quarterback, and they added Russell Wilson. I think my concerns are, first off, tri- Tim Patrick's out for the season. Love Tim Patrick. Um, they do have other good receivers who are, yeah, they're good, but some guys unproven. You're, you're KJ Hamlers, you're Jerry Judy's. The offensive line, it'll be all right in Denver. My concern still with Russell Wilson that I, I don't know what we're getting from him, but I also don't know if 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 this is a point in his career where he is taking a step back. If there is something physically wrong with him, where he did lose a step last year and his elusiveness isn't where it was. Uh, as much as we like Denver's defense. You don't have Vic Fangio calling the shots back there now. So um, if you know Fangio, call him a failed head coach for the Broncos, but did a nice job with that defense and built it for his scheme. So I'm going to say it's it's got to be bold, right? Because not every team in the AFC can make the playoffs. And I'm going to say Denver is one of those teams that, that doesn't make the playoffs. I, see, I don't think – I think the only bold take you can make in terms of making the playoffs out of the AFC West is the Chiefs not making it. Everything else is entirely within the realms of possibility. The Raiders making it or not making it, entirely reasonable. The Chargers making it or not making it, entirely reasonable. And Denver making it or not making it is entirely reasonable. Like, yeah. What what if I add this, Sam? What if I add the Chargers are winning the AFC West? Bold take alert. The Chargers are taking over for the Chiefs this year. I mean, maybe, but again, like, is that that surprising? Like, the Chargers are always everybody's preseason darling. So... Look, my level of bold is like, you know, pitiful, you know, a little bit, a little bit beyond 50%. You know, we're just moving, moving the needle a little bit here. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure that's bold. Okay. That's it. Yeah. It's just not bold. I, I don't, I don't think bold. it is. I, I think the only, like, like I said, I think the only bold take you can make in the AFC West is that the chiefs are the team that miss out. Everything else is like, you know, that the bell curve of, possible outcomes everything else is like slap bang in the middle of that bell curve it's entirely possible Hmm. all right well you come up with one i'll try i'll try to do better next time around here okay um i think atlanta's offense will rank in the top half of the league in what uh insert generic offensive category here i don't know whatever you want to pick oh that's bold yeah, not turnovers like, per game. Not like everything, but you know, <laughs> like whatever a fair evaluation of general offense is, the Falcons EPA. will be top 15. Use EPA. Okay. Let me check where they were last year. Probably not too crazy. So you're talking Marcus Mariota. You're, you're just buying into uh, week one. Marcus Mariota looked pretty good. Desmond Ritter did some nice things. 
You got Cordero Patterson, your guy there at running back slash wide receiver hybrid. You get mm. Kyle Pitts. You got Drake London. Okay, last year, face where, last where year they ranked twenty seventh in EPA per play. Yeah. Wait, I haven't turned off no plays. Maybe that will make a giant difference. I mean, those plays count in EPA. They count. So that you're saying Matt Ryan out, Marcus Mariota in, jumping up 12 spots. No, not that on its own. But I, I like the playmakers that they have. Um, the combination of giant freakish receivers, you know, uh, Kyle Pitts from last year was already great as a rookie. Drake London <laughs> on his one catch in preseason before he got hurt, he looked really good. Uh, looked good, yeah. Overtime T.O. Brian Edwards is there. Don't forget that. Um, Cordero Patterson, the unlocked weapon out of the backfield. They've added some players to the backfield as well. Marcus Mariota does bring a rushing threat and a rushing ability that I think can be harnessed well by the coaching staff. So does Desmond Desmond Ritter. If he ends up playing, even dude, Felipe Franks is out here playing tight end, you know, dominating people athletically. Now, OK, he's dropping the ball once it arrives to him, but still the potential. Um, and look, as long as that offensive line isn't a train wreck, I, I think that offense has got potential. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's bold. It's definitely bold. Well, I think it's the more Falcons... bold than Denver might miss the playoffs in the most loaded division in football. Way to be bold. I'm going to steal one of your other bold takes. Though. We'll see how think what you think of that. But um it is a bold take for the for the falcons that's the show uh it's a long shot for the falcons to be top a top 15 offense but they are intriguing love the size that they've added all across the roster if felipe franks really does become a player i mean he's just starting to really play tight end if he does become a player to go with kyle pitts and drake london over there i mean that's well i will say look remember when (laughs) remember when tim tebow tried to play tight end right and it was one of the most embarrassing things I've ever seen a professional athlete attempt. It was ridiculous. It, it he, you've seen me pitch. At, yeah, well, that's true. At, at no aspect of the game did he look like a player that belonged doing any of that. He, he looked like somebody that has been – he looked like a, a guy that had been dragged out of the gym, right? You can't say off the street because the guy's jacked. But he looked like, you know, you went in the gym, you found the biggest guy you could find, and you just put him in pads and said – Gave him a rough instruction about what he was supposed to do, right? Here, on this play, you're blocking this guy. You got to run across formation, hit him. And the next play, you got to run a hitch and catch the ball. He looked like that. He looked like a guy that had never seen a football before in his life. Uh, Felipe Franks looks like a tight end. I mean, he looks like somebody that's been doing this for a while, albeit with some rough edge, edges, like should have caught that deep pass in the, the first preseason game. But I mean, there's potential there in a way that simply never existed for Tebow playing tight end. I, I think we're finding why my Florida Gators are struggling over the last 10 to yeah, 15 all years because all the ends. quarterbacks that they recruit get moved to tight end. Not only Tebow and Felipe Franks, but Jordan Reed, Cornelius Ingram, Trey Burton. Hasn't Jeff Driscoll taken some tight end snaps in his NFL career, even though he's still technically a quarterback? This is ridiculous. Everybody that Florida recruits is a tight end here, man. Yeah, it's a radical... Uh, suggestion that maybe they should try recruiting quarterbacks instead of tight ends. Yeah, we'll see if that works in the next decade or so. Bold take with the Falcons there. All right, I'm going to steal one from your article, NFC East. Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott has his worst PFF grade since 2018. Okay. So 2018, Dak graded at 74.8. Since that point, 80.1, 85.2 in a limited 2020 when he got hurt. Last year, 
four. But last year was also trending in the wrong direction. Yeah, he got his calf injury. Second half of the season was not great. I know your point on Dak is, hey, when the pieces start to fall around, uh, fall apart around him, makes it a lot more difficult for him, maybe more than other quarterbacks. I don't think it's that crazy. So Dak going to grade just under 80 this year in PFF grades, his worst year since 2018 with some lesser playmakers over there. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's unreasonable at all. Uh, in fact, I, I'm, that might actually be expectation at this point, given the situation, the situation around him, Jalen Tolbert, I really love that guy, but he didn't look great in the first preseason game when he, he had an opportunity there. Now, admittedly, you know, his, his numbers are terrible, right? It was like six targets and two catches for four yards or something stupid. Um, but most of the incompletions were not really Jalen Dover problems. It was like Dallas backup quarterbacks thrown at a yard and a half inside of him towards a defender. Like, there's not much you can do about that. But they really need him to be good quickly at least until Michael Gallup gets back and then you need Michael Gallup to be back healthy and you know back playing at a really high level immediately which is a tough ask and you know then you need the offensive line not to take a step back and all those other things so yeah I think that's I think that's a pretty good chance that happens all right buddy what else do you have uh, are we going to do some emails today too is that what we're uh yeah I got a few I got a few bet emails towards some the bets. end yeah all right before before we get into the next one though gentlemen all men strive for gold in their life, right? Gold medals, gold watches, gold everything. However, there's a certain type of man who goes the extra mile. He walks with the confidence of an eagle and giggles in the face of danger. He's a big, hairless, winning machine. And when he unzips his pants, he sees platinum. That's right, Manscaped would like to introduce you to their best and biggest ultimate hygiene bundle yet. It's the Platinum Package 4.0. Manscaped is the leader in below-the-waist grooming. Now trust them with the whole shebang. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF. Manscaped's brand new Platinum Package 4.0 is the biggest bundle they've ever offered, giving you a bulk discount on Manscaped's top products. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. It's 20% off free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code PFF. It's time you enjoy the finer things in life and get yourself a Platinum Package for your Platinum Package. In the shampoo and body wash, mm. shampoo and uh, conditioner. The shampoo is great on the beard. I mean, it might be great yeah, in the hair beard. as well, but I don't have it. If any you're of that. bald with a big beard like Sam, grab that shampoo and conditioner. Uh, yeah. Manscaped.com. Um, All right. I think you're up. Saying in the NFC East, I think the Eagles are real Super Bowl contenders. I'm starting to think that more and more. Um, my initial bold prediction in the article was that the Eagles will win the NFC East over Dallas and the further we get you know the closer we get to the season the more I think that isn't going far enough and actually the Eagles might be like for real for real not just able to overhaul Dallas within that division um I really like obviously the addition of AJ Brown and what that does to the offense and all those kinds of things I think it was kind of a statement for that team and I mean as much as you can make a statement in preseason they went out there in that first drive and it was pass 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 Everything. It was just, and they carved every. They they went straight down the field, scored a touchdown, easy money. Um, I think that offense will be really good this year. They've got one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. I think they should have a much more powerful running attack this year than they had a year ago, uh, where it was really good. And I think people might be overlooking the defense, which could be really good. Like the, I think the scheme is the right again. The, it's 
the the stuff they're doing schematically is the way the rest of the league is going. Um, that sort of Vic Fangio style of of multiple safeties playing deep. Uh, they added, you know, throwaway pieces like James Bradbury, who can be a high quality starting cornerback. Um, the idea that Jordan Davis and Nicobe Dean might be for real. That defense has the potential to be a really good unit as well. And all of a sudden, if that happens, you're talking about one of a very few teams that has a really high-end unit on both sides of the ball. The more the offseason you know, moves along here, Sam, the more you're buying into the Eagles. Yeah. like Just the more you think. It's like me and the Raiders. I just start buying the Raiders. The more I think about them, the more I see their preseason games, whatever it might be. Uh, I've, I, the Eagles are interesting because there was a point going into the offseason where it was like, all right, they made the playoffs, but are they really rebuilding? Or even before last year, when they made the playoffs, like last year at this time, we were wondering if the Eagles were in a pure rebuild. They were overhauling some of the pieces on their offensive line, a receiver, uh, in the defensive backfield, a lot of changes, a lot of turnover. And then they, you know, overachieved last year, I would say. They snuck into the playoffs. They weren't a contender in the playoffs. I don't think anybody expected them to win a game, but they were the seven seed in a year where we just invited seven seeds. But yes, I do believe there's a lot of improvement there with everything that you mentioned. Year two in that regime with Nick Sirianni. And uh, yeah, there should be some some Eagles hype. And that's what makes the offseason so fascinating because... I don't know that the Eagles are necessarily a better team than the Cowboys. The Cowboys were a much better team last year. I think we're clear on that. But both teams feel like they're going in a different direction, and that does change perception, and we'll see how much that actually you know, shows up on the field. But, um, yeah, I, not a, crazy, man. You just keep pushing those Eagles forward. I've officially started to feel sorry for Jalen Rager, though. Um, I watched who – who are they playing the Jets in preseason? Um, and I was looking through uh, Sauce Gardner's coverage snaps. You know, he played whatever it was, 12 coverage snaps. So I'm kind of looking through because I don't think he was targeted. So you're like, well, okay, <laughs> what did he do? Um, so I was looking through all of his coverage snaps. And his very first one, he's playing off coverage, cover three maybe. And Jalen Rager is the receiver opposite him. Jalen Rager is running like a, a you know 10-yard hook route and just falls over. Like, stumbles out of his break face plants right in front of sauce Gardner, who's just like got it covered you know and you're like ah like yeah it was bad enough you know when you it didn't work out you're being compared to justin jefferson you're kind of constantly getting crapped on in a market that's you know can't be fun to be an underachieving player or, or a guy that's sort of drawing the fans ire and now it's just like okay we've reached we've gone beyond parody and we're into like you know this is just sad now Poor he might guy. not make the team. Yeah, poor poor guy. I mean, you know, poor guy in relative terms. I'm sure he's uh, that rookie contract for the first round is worth quite a lot of money. So he's doing Probably okay. Rich guy, but yeah, but struggling as a football player. Yeah, right now, Philadelphia Eagles. I have an anti-Eagles one, I guess. Oh, um, not crazy. Not uh, see how bold this is for you. It's probably not at all. But Ravens interior defensive lineman, Travis Jones, third rounder, is going to grade better than Jordan Davis. Okay. The Eagles interior defensive lineman. Jordan Davis, of course, goes in the top 15. Travis Jones, a guy that we thought was another first rounder. And I think the Ravens, everybody pegs the Ravens as getting Jordan Davis. Perfect Raven. We did it too. 
they're going to use this big two gap and plugger up front and you know everyone else benefits on that Ravens defense turns out it was the Eagles who wanted to get Jordan Davis and run that strategy and the Ravens instead get Travis Jones I believe a first round talent they get him in the mm. third round so I think Travis Jones who also did outgrade Jordan Davis in week one of the preseason for whatever that's worth Travis Jones will outgrade and the hyped up 340 pound physical specimen that is Jordan Davis Travis Jones over Jordan Davis in a PFF grade this season and and I graded him in college as well albeit with a different level of competition um I it is a re- so yeah I think this is, wouldn't surprise me um I keep coming back to okay we, we were saying before the draft that there should be a bigger conversation comparing Jordan Davis to Travis Jones not necessarily to say that Travis Jones was better or that you should take him ahead of uh, Jordan Davis, but like to say that if Jordan Davis is a clear first rounder, and obviously he was given how high he went, how low does Travis Jones go? Because there isn't that much difference between the two of them. And the difference that is there is purely athletic. You know, it's like Jordan Davis is an all time freak show and Travis Jones is just a regular freak show. Um, And that, for him to slip not just out of the first round, but to get all the way to the third looks like madness. The close, like the more of him you see, he looks like a sort of standard, really good athletic, you know, interior defensive lineman. He's got power, he's got moves, he's got re- way more sideline to sideline ability than you think he should have at that size. Um, and made a, f- a bunch of those plays already in that first preseason game. Now, he may or may not be end up better than Jordan Davis. But, I, again, I, keep, I can't understand how there was that wide a margin between those two guys at draft time. Right, because we're talking Travis Jones weighed in at 327. He had 91st percentile arm length, 77th percentile 40-yard dash. He ran <laughs> sub-5. He was like, 492. If you, just errat- if you just erase Jordan Davis from your mind, Travis Jones looks like you know, an elite athletic physical specimen. But because we just saw Jordan Davis at like 900 pounds run a 4-2, it's like, what the hell is this thing, you know? 400 pounds ran a 4-2. This isn't the uh, the animal show where it's like, hey, what if, <laughs> what if a tiger was, you know, running the 40? He runs a 2-3. Well, who wins in a fight, um, Jordan yeah. Davis or the grizzly bear? That's what we got to be asking ourselves. That's what it was. So, I mean, that's, so that's why, you know, Travis Jones, he is, he's athletic enough. He was productive in college. He had a good first preseason. So I'm going to say Travis Jones over Jordan Davis. All right, a couple more, and we'll get into some of those bets that we want to acknowledge. All right. I got one more um, that I think is bold, both bold and worth talking about. The hometown Cincinnati Bengals don't just fail to back up the Super Bowl season, but they miss the the playoffs. They miss them. They don't get there. They don't make the playoffs. Sam. Dude, I, I can't even walk into my local Kroger without people asking, what's the deal with Sam? Why does he hate our team? Why does he not believe in our hometown Cincinnati Bengals? Who day? Uh-huh. Why, why do you not believe in this team that went to the Super Bowl that has the highest graded quarterback in the NFL returning? He's in year three. Yeah, he just had the, you know, his appendix burst and all that stuff. And he's got to get his weight back. And the offensive line looked like trash in preseason week one, but they were all backups. Yeah. Yeah, all that stuff's happening. But why can't you believe in our hometown Cincinnati Bengals after what they did last year? It's not that I can't, but it's that it the AFC North is right up there with the AFC West in terms of arguably the toughest division of football. 
So somebody is going to fall short of expectations. Everyone assumes it will be the Pittsburgh Steelers, but Mike Tomlin has witchcraft working in his favor. That man doesn't lose over the course of a season. You know, maybe Kenny Pickett is actually better equipped to start to be okay right away than we think. And at seven and a half wins, maybe they win more than that. Um, Baltimore is an obvious candidate to go from worst for, to first in terms of division standing because of how badly injured they got last year. Okay, Cleveland is a wild card given what's going on with Deshaun Watson and who knows what their quarterback situation will be. But I think everybody acknowledges that the Bengals overachieved last year in making it to the Super Bowl. And I think they acknowledge that. That's why they went out there and overhauled an offensive line in the offseason, grabbed three new starters to try and make sure that they were better this year than they were a year ago. They didn't just go, oh, we're right there. We were a couple of plays away from the Super Bowl, so let's add, you know, one player, and then we're there. That's, that's the piece, the missing piece of the puzzle. That's the difference. They knew that they overachieved. And this thing was built off mind-blowing Joe Burrow play and insane Jamar Chase play. But when you look at what that actually resulted in, they were 13th last season in EPA per play. Like, it wasn't the best offense in the NFL. It wasn't, you know, this dominant, unstoppable force. It was a reasonable offense that rode insane, high-leverage, big plays. Like, remember, they're in trouble against the Chiefs, and then Kansas City lines up man coverage, and it's a bomb to Jamar Chase on what third and 27 or something like that. Like they, they were, they needed those huge plays in high leverage situations to dig themselves out of some holes. And as much as they have the talent in Burrow and chase in particular to keep doing that, it's so hard to repeat absurd play on, you know, on, on money downs in high leverage situations and explosive plays. They were a massively explosive offense. And that's a very hard thing to sustain long-term. They might get better this year, in terms of overall offensive efficiency. But if if that doesn't offset the amount they're probably going to regress, it might not be enough to overhaul the Ravens and to keep pace with, you know, the other teams. It's bold, Sam. It's bold. I don't buy it. I think the Bengals are still a playoff team. I think they're still on the ascent. Yeah, but the problem is... But it is one AFC, of those things where... It, there's it, probably they're like one of those teams, though, that could play teams. better. Sorry. I'm just talking saying, over you here. know, we, we think that, yeah, the Bengals look like a playoff team, but so does like 10 other teams in the AFC. I know. Meaning at least three of them I think the Bengals be. will play better this year and not make the Super Bowl. You know, that's um, a lot of times people just remember the final results last year. Bengals, Super Bowl team. Therefore, it must have been great. Just like I said with the Rams, right? The Rams won the Super Bowl, but they had some duds along the way. They had some, they had some points in the season where it looks bleak. Like it was all going to fall apart. And then they they rallied and, you know, the Bengals had their ups and downs and bad losses to to teams that they should have beaten. And, uh, you know, some luck, not lucky plays, but, you know, as you mentioned, high leverage plays that are maybe tough to replicate. If you if you put yourself into that situation again, can you bail yourself out with a play or two? That's very difficult to do. So I get it. I, I buy into Bengals regression record wise and result wise, but maybe not all the way to they're not making the playoffs because, again, I want to walk into my local Kroger and not have people yelling at me anymore because of you. How can you buy a regression record-wise but think that that won't result in them not missing the playoffs? No, I'm saying not record-wise necessarily. I'm saying they're not going to make the Super Bowl. Like, they might have a wild-card exit or a divisional round exit that is disappointing. I mean, it's going to be disappointing for a fan base that was in the Super Bowl last year, but I think they'll be a better team. I think they're a better team this year than last year. Offensive line improved. 
defense another year in that system with some added pieces and Daxton Hill as a rookie. I think they're a better team than they were last year at this time. Because you got to remember, but they they're made, not going to make the Super Bowl. You so that's going to feel disappointing. They made the playoffs last season by virtue of a tie. Pittsburgh had a tie. They were half a game back. That's the difference between them making the playoffs or not last season. So if they regress. No, that's not true. Yeah, it is. That's not true. No, 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 no. The Bengals were 10 and 7 last season. Yeah, but they sat everybody in week 18. They were already in. They had clinched. Okay, but like they're, they clinched by virtue of tiebreakers, but they're like a game ahead of the. They're like a game yeah, ahead. They would have been 11 and 6, though, in week 18 if they had played. Only if they played and won. Baltimore? Yeah. Yeah, Baltimore with the. Was it Josh Johnson or Tyler Huntley at quarterback? Yes, they would have won. That wasn't stopping them winning other games. Um, Whatever. Anyway, the point is it takes like a game. They lose one game extra this year through regression of unsustainable high leverage plays. Given the state of the AFC, they're right on the borderline. I I understand, man. I understand. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't clean all the way through. And I can understand some regression for the Bengals this season. Let us know. All of your bold takes, everybody. I got one more. I got one more. Okay. Derek Carr will be an MVP candidate. Derek Mm -hmm. Carr, MVP candidate. He's going to put up his best numbers, best numbers of his career. He's going to be, we're going to be halfway. I say MVP candidate because you can't say he's going to rank top five in the MVP race or whatever because they only do one vote and pretty much two guys get MVP votes at most. Three at most, really, in a given year. But Derek Carr will be in the MVP conversation late into the season. He might lose it late. He's done that before, but he'll be back in the MVP conversation. Best numbers of his career might flirt with the most touchdown passes in the NFL this year. They're going to be in some shootouts, I think, with some of their AFC West foes. And you got Devontae Adams coming in there. You got Hunter Renfro. You got Darren Waller. Might not find a better trio in the NFL because of how good Devontae Adams and Darren Waller are at their respective positions. This is the year Derek Carr feels like he takes this massive leap in his game. He might not, but the stats are definitely going to show it. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the sky is the limit for Derek Carr in that offense. If the offensive line is viable, if it's right. not, it's probably not going to matter. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see what happens with the offensive line, but I honestly think the Raiders should be looking waiver wire, you know, looking for that veteran offensive lineman that's being pushed out, like maybe a, you know, reunite with a Gabe Jackson. If he gets cut in Seattle, whatever it might be, I would scour the waiver wire here in August, stitch that thing together, creep it back toward below average, and then, you know, see what happens with that pass game. Cause I think they could be, they could be really good this year. Yeah, I think I think it's entirely possible. Um, I've got a few emails for uh, bets that we want to get to, but actually, there's one that isn't a bet that I want to cover first. Um, before before you start, yeah. football fans, join the next generation of fantasy football with Rainmakers Football, the first ever NFT fantasy game from DraftKings. It's the only NFT fantasy game licensed by the NFLPA. Now you can play all season for millions in prizes by building the ultimate NFT franchise. Right now, everyone can get their first full roster starter pack for free. Playing Rainmakers is simple. You buy, sell, bid, and win player card NFTs of the biggest names in the game through regular drops and auctions on DraftKings Marketplace. Craft lineups of athletes from your NFT collection and earn points for touchdowns, receptions, and more. 
just like daily fantasy football. Build your NFT franchise and enter free Rainmakers football contests all season long to compete for millions in prizes. The next generation of fantasy sports is here. So download the DraftKings Daily Fantasy app now. You sign up with promo code PFF, click the Rainmakers tile, and opt in to get your first card for free. Plus play for millions of prizes all football season while building the ultimate NFT fantasy franchise with Rainmakers football. It's promo code PFF, build, play, win only at DraftKings. Contest entries dependent on type and number of NFTs held. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void were prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, Sam, what you got? Uh, okay, so we, we had a couple other people reference something like this. I think our longtime listener slash emailer Eilish Roach mentioned that um, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes' contracts were already starting to look like bargains. Remember, those were the Mahomes, the first half a billion dollar contract signed by any professional athlete. Um, Josh Allen with his, his giant extension. The next couple of deals to come up, those are already going to be, you know, fourth, fifth most valuable deals. And they're talking about maybe reworking Mahomes' deal already. Uh, this one is a, in a similar vein, but it takes it to another logical conclusion. Hi, Sam and Steve. I remember in last uh, year's 32 Questions episode being disappointed that the Vikings, I think he means last week's, that the Vikings question was on Kirk Cousins. We know who he is, what he can do, what's left to say. Uh, I don't know, maybe then this year, can we get more out of Kirk? Uh, I know I've missed the boat on the questions episode, but I have what I think is an interesting team-building question. We've seen Mahomes and Allen sign huge, long-term deals that give their teams great cap flexibility down the road. Given the inflation in the wide receiver market, would a similar type of deal make sense for Justin Jefferson? As a ballpark, say, eight years, $250 million with the first two guaranteed. Uh, Jefferson is an undisputed superstar, and a contract like this could let the Vikings go for a rookie quarterback in 2023-24, but still have flexibility to push money down for J.J. down the road and sign a big-money veteran quarterback in 2026 if the rookie doesn't work out, given Kwesi the opportunity for two bites at quarterback without losing Jefferson. Uh, hope to hear your thoughts on this. As ever, more rugby and less baseball is the way to go. P.S., and honestly, this is, you know, this is relevant. If you answer this question, I'll donate to the fundraiser. Uh, and he, oh, he good thinks, job, good job taking the question. Thanks. That was that was smart. He thinks that I can hit the speed, the sixty miles an hour. Oh, that's why. Yeah, I think guys, if you is... want your email answered or you know question answered on the podcast, make sure you just tell Sam. I mean, that he'll hit sixty look, miles an hour. We don't want to read it. We don't want to get embroiled in a cash for question scandal, but it certainly isn't going to harm your chances of having the question read out. I'll put it that way. Um, I, don't I think, know, the IRS might be after us soon, but you know, we'll take our chances here. I think this is interesting. The idea of, okay, quarterbacks are now signing, or some quarterbacks are signing these monster long-term extensions, and those are seen as team-friendly because of you know, how much it allows them to plan out their sort of financial and cap situation for the next X number of years. What about taking that to a different position and saying, all right, let's, let's plan out a young superstar hitting his second contract and lock that guy up for a decade. Like, lock that guy up for the next eight years. I like the creativity. I think some of the difference at the wide receiver position is wide receivers generally view the market as, like, where do I want to go? Like, who do I want to play with? I think wide receivers more ha like having the flexibility of saying, I'll go play with that quarterback, or this team has QB stability. I, I, I wonder how difficult to sell this is for Justin Jefferson to say, we're locking you up for Kirk Cousins right now. 
chances are you're not worth Kirk Cousins for the next eight years. Yeah. You know, like when you're a quarterback, it's like, hey, I'm the leader. I'm the leader for the next eight to 10 years. Build that team around me. If you're Justin Jefferson, you're taking a chance and saying, I've got Kirk Cousins. I might have a rookie. You know, Sam Darnold might come in for a year. Who knows? I don't know what that quarterback situation is. It's a lot harder for me to give up the rest of those years of my career. Now, from a team standpoint, it's also more difficult to maybe project a receiver. If you just lose half a step, you know, injury, injuries are way riskier at receiver than they are quarterback. Whereas even a, you know, a quarterback, if he, whatever, if he gets banged up or whatever it is, you win with your brain, you win with other ways or, you know, whatever it might be. Quarterbacks are more protected, all of that fun stuff. Not that they can't get hurt, but um, I think it's riskier from the team standpoint, but also riskier from the player standpoint, because you just don't know what that team's going to look like a few years from now. And you don't really know how much the wide receiver market's going to explode even more. Um, and that's why it's interesting when players value different things. We've talked about Dak valuing getting to the market again in a few years, where an Allen or a Mahomes might value being the face of the franchise for the next 10 years and having that security. Uh, it's I, I think most receivers would value getting back to the market two, three, four years from now rather than just having the, the eight-year. It would be a groundbreaking deal. It's not crazy. It's just harder to do, I think, for a receiver. I mean, I think the sheer weight of money – <laughs> it's going to be a big factor here. Like the the highest amount of guaranteed money given out to a receiver right now is fifty six million dollars for AJ Brown. Right, AJ Brown has fifty six million, fifty six point five million, according to our friends at Over the Cap, guaranteed money attached to his contract. Tyreek Hill is at fifty two point five, and then those are the only two guys above fifty. If you went in there and said, "Okay, Justin Jefferson, we're going to give you an eight year contract." And there's $93 million guaranteed attached to that. You know, $40 million essentially guaranteed more than anybody else. The first three years of this deal are going to be guaranteed. From a team perspective, you're, you're guaranteeing the money in the next three years of his deal, which theoretically should be three more dominant seasons. You're also reasonably protected injury-wise in that even if he fell over and broke his hip tomorrow, okay, you're on the hook for three years, but it's not... You know, it's not the full eight years of the contract. It's only 37% of the gar- of the, the total money guaranteed, which is well under the 57% for A.J. Brown, the 50% for, St- for Stephon Diggs, the 78% for DeAndre Hopkins. Um, like, it's well under the sort of market level for uh, percentage of the deal that's guaranteed, but it's $40 million more than anybody has seen at that position to be locked up for a longer period of time. I think that's an actually a reasonable pitch for both sides. And like the Mahomes thing, you know, you could have um, – yeah, Mahomes could have gotten much more money if he decided to go for a different structure. But he valued the idea of being locked into Kansas City for a decade, of the flexibility that it gave the team in terms of what they can do, knowing that they have him locked up for a decade – and it was worth taking less money to get half a billion dollars and have all that stuff locked up. Now, I think where there is a difference is you're right. It can fall apart around a wide receiver a lot easier than it could fall apart around a quarterback. Justin Jefferson right now is in a reasonable situation of Kirk Cousins, good, not great quarterback, a very good offensive system coming over with Kevin O'Connell. Adam Thielen on the other side can take some attention away. It's a good spot for Justin Jefferson. In two years' time, 
he could be on the Bears comparatively. You know, the way the Bears are right now where it's Justin Fields throwing to Darnell Mooney and desperately hoping anybody else shows up for work, that could be Justin Jefferson in two years' time if he signs this deal looking ahead at six more years of misery, you know, in a terrible situation. That can't really happen to Patrick Mahomes if for no other reason the Mahomes simply holds too much sway over the outcome of that. You know, it's, it's very difficult to... It's very difficult to actually completely destroy a team around an elite quarterback. So what's the final word? Would you do it? Player team? I like I like the creativity. I like the idea of, of valuing the receiver. I just I don't know if it's as attractive for you're, you're selling the fact that it's like, hey, we're treating you like a quarterback. You're going to be yeah. the first receiver that's treated like a quarterback. And maybe that's a selling point for Justin I, Jefferson. I think for the teams, it's absolutely worth thinking about. For Justin Jefferson, for Jamar Chase in particular, those two deals in, in absolutely, where you're looking at them and you're saying, these are two of the five best receivers in the NFL. They're extremely young. They've been dominant since day one. And we want these guys around as long as humanly possible. And the more... Uh, the more clarity we have on what the financial implications of that are, the better for the team overall. For those two franchises, I would absolutely pitch something like this towards Jefferson and Jamar Chase and try and get it done. For the receiver, I think it's less clear, uh, clear cut whether it's worth doing. I also think the team can build in like enough protections in terms of injury that if they do suffer like a devastating career-ending injury, which you know are fewer and fewer around these days, it's not like it doesn't sink the franchise um, for the player. I think it's less clear cut. I think you do want a bit of flexibility in terms of what if this team just disintegrates around me. But I think there's a lot to be said for offsetting that with, hey, here's like 100 million guaranteed dollars. Like you might make that the money. Your- the money might talk. But look, all I'm saying is it's an easier sell. You brought up Jamar Chase there. It's an easier sell to go to Jamar Chase and say, look, you and Joe Burrow, you guys did it at LSU. You want a title there, you're yeah. going to do it in Cincinnati. Stay together. Stay together for the kids. We're going to win a Super Bowl, all that fun stuff. It's a harder sell to Justin Jefferson where it's like, hey, it might be Kirk for two years, and then who the heck knows beyond that. So no, agreed. But again, I could see the Jamar Chase-Joe Burrow package deal for the next six to eight years is is could be really attractive. Yeah, agreed. And I think when you're when you're the team pitching this to the player – the the flexibility that it gives them has got to be part of the pitch. So with, you know, it's like, hey, we're going to keep you and Burrow together and this is going to help us do it. And for Jefferson, it's like, okay, it might not be Kirk Cousins, but the money we're going to get or the, the, the financial security and knowledge that we have by getting this kind of deal done lets us make sure that we're not going to let you go begging. You know, we're going to make sure there's a good quarterback here and we're going to need this money to get it done. Um, so I think it's, I think it's doable for both sides. That email, by the way, was from Connor Dempsey. I don't think I gave his, e- his name out to begin with. Good email. Good thoughts. Like it. And uh, there's your Vikings question answered that was not Kirk Cousins related. Mm. Um, anything else you want to touch on before we wrap it up here, Sam? No, now we're into the bets. Um, remember, if, we were, if you think we're full of it on a particular topic, a particular take, and by the way, the bold takes don't count because they're Those bold Those don't takes. count. Um, You cannot bet against bold takes. For example, there's pretty much no outcome-based bet I'm going to take in the AFC West because there's almost no outcome I would consider implausible for that division. I would buy pretty much anything happening in that division this season. So if you're, like, coming in saying, hey, I think, if you're Steve, I think you guys are crazy. The Broncos are going to miss the playoffs. Well, okay, I, I buy that. 
I'm not betting on it. I think it's entirely possible that happens. So yes. the idea behind these is it has to be something that we absolutely would stand behind to the tune of a bet. So you want to hear the first one? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. This one is from somebody called Vishnu. Uh, I had a second name there, but it's it's gone off the back of the email. Anyway. Just Vishnu. Yeah. PFF, in my opinion, has been way overrating the Bills receiving core heading into the 2022 season. Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley are no longer part of the team, and we're elevating Gabriel Davis to star status after one postseason game. Thus, I have a bet to propose. The Patriots receiving core, who have been long been the butt of jokes and criticism, will boast a better collective grade than that of the Bills. If he wins, you have to wear I we have to wear a Kendrick Bourne jersey, and if he loses, He'll buy a PFF subscription using the podcast promo code, of course. Kendrick Bourne jersey. I yeah. like that. Do we have to purchase our own Kendrick Bourne jersey? I believe so, yes. I mean, maybe we can get, you know, maybe we can expense that. We'll see. <laughs> um, we definitely. Definitely expense it. That's on Chris. So I, I'm not worried about that part. Um, we're talking Gabriel Davis, Stephon Diggs. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie has been emerging as the potential slot over Jamison Crowder there. You've got Khalil Shakir, who they just drafted. Mm -hmm. The great Jake Kumaro, at least as of now, is over there. So I would – it's not just one game of Gabriel Davis. It's one – it's it's him being a third and fourth option and being really good at it and now just being elevated to the number two option and thinking that he can do it. So if we're talking – it's not like a crazy enough bet that I'm you know rushing to make it. It's not so lopsided for us that I'm rushing to make it. I would lean Bills over Patriots, but I don't know if we need to accept this, Sam. You don't know if we need to accept it. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious because I think... I don't hate New England's... I, I've I've said I like New England's depth as a receiving core. I don't know where we ended up ranking them before the season or anything like that, but I don't think it's crazy to think that the combination, um, if we're including tight ends especially... Well, that's unclear. In New England. I think it's wide receivers specifically. Okay, so even if it's just wide receivers, like Kendrick Bourne had a 77.8 last year, and Jacoby Myers was in the 70s, and Devontae Parker was in the 70s. It's not – they already weren't that far apart as far as uh, receiving production goes well, that's the top guys there. That's what I was just looking up now because – so he's specifying, you know, the collective group of wide receivers in terms of PFF grade. Would you like to know what those numbers were last year before we accept yes. or decline? Okay, the Buffalo Bills had the number five graded group of wide receivers last season. The Rams were number one, the Bengals were number two, the Packers number three. These are all driven heavily off one superstar. Uh, Cowboys number four, and then Buffalo was number five with a grade of 81.4. The Patriots were down in 13th with a grade of 75.2. So there was essentially a, what, six-point difference in grade between the two yeah and we're talking you know taekwon thornton for the new for new england's getting a lot of hype as a rookie i think mac jones is a receiver friendly type of quarterback he's accurate he's gonna put the ball on those guys and i think the bills are probably a little bit better but i'm not taking that bet i don't think it's uh i don't feel strongly enough that i have to take that wow that's that's pretty cowardly i i mean i can see a world where it goes in the other direction but i think this absolutely should be Buffalo over New England and to the point where I think we could take the bet. No, I'm not giving in to you this time. You coward. Okay. You just want a Kendrick Bourne jersey. Oh, fine, let's do it for the Kendrick Bourne jersey. Like what 
What do we have to lose? Chris well, buys us Kendrick Bourne jersey? We're doing Good it point. for the PFF subscription. We're, we're selling people on this thing here. NFL uh, PFF Plus. All right, go. Let's okay. do it. Uh, second Great. one. This one is from Zach Wilstrup. Uh, hey, y'all. I oh, God, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't say y'all. I is can't, he from Florence? I can't do Florence it. Florence y'alls? <sighs> hey, y'all. I'd like to get in on a wager. To start, I'm a Cowboys fan. Not your normal, we're going to the Super Bowl every year, Cowboys fan, but a realist Cowboys fan. And by the way, from the rest of this email, realist appears to be like a, a byword for, you know, pessimist. Anyway, I keep hearing, oh God, I keep hearing from y'all and other NFL pods that maybe the, this division is a toss-up, uh, but the Cowboys will slash should be a playoff team. I actually don't think that happens. And my prediction is they finish dead last in the division. If my wager is correct, I'd like to be hired as an assistant for the podcast. And if I lose, y'all should also hire me. But oh god! But I got to get y'all coffee every morning. Willing to change on what we're wagering, probably for the best. Thanks. Big fan of the pod down in Texas. So accept. I accept this immediately. Yes, I'm sprinting to the podium to accept this bet. I could not agree and, more. Um, I. It's because I would. Uh, if he was our assistant, I would make him write teleprompter copy for you I'm, I'm so that saying, i could hear you say y'all i'm never saying more. that word again never that was awesome if anybody can we, can we get the interns that don't exist to clip that one as well the, the next time anybody sends in an email with that word written in it i'm editing it to something different i'm just i'm correct i'm correcting your grammar if you read that if you send that in to me what do we give up if the cowboys finish last uh also we gotta hire him either way but in one scenario he brings us coffee yeah, I'm probably not going to accept those terms because I'm not uh, – I don't have the power to hire over here, man. Yeah. So, uh, listen, y'all, I accept the terms of the bet itself. The uh, the payouts, though, uh, we'll have to negotiate at some point here. I mean, the terms – A.K.A. we can't hire you. I So, where I think he's onto something is I think this could be a down year for the Cowboys relative to what everybody's expecting. And it wouldn't shock me necessarily if they finished third in the division, but fourth – like, no. I mean, yeah, I'm not feeling that. Maybe, maybe, you know, the the ups, the positive swing and all of the possible outcomes for either Washington or New York pans out and they overhaul the Cowboys. There's no way both of them are doing that. So I, I accept yes. that I don't believe the Cowboys will finish last. We are 100% accepting that. Um, and We'll you have know, to negotiate the terms. Yes, maybe, maybe we'll I give hope. them a, a free subscription if we lose. Perfect. Nailed it. Okay, uh, last one is from somebody called Bradley Ackerley. Uh, Hi, Sam and Steve. I bet you guys that the Vikings will finish with a top five offensive line this year in terms of the end-of-year offensive line rankings put together by PFF, which, by the way, customarily I've been writing, which is a potential conflict of interest here. Maybe we'll make sure they get verified by other sources. You've been writing what? The offensive line rankings. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, you could easily... Yeah. So we'll have to make sure that they get vetted by somebody other than Well, me. why don't we just make it pure? Like, we'll just say every player that played offensive line and just go by grade. Well, because I think the rankings are the right way of doing it in terms of, you know, adjusting for uh, the scheme, for adjusting for schemes, difficulty, time to throw, those kinds of things. I just, you know, I just wanted to put in the interest of full disclosure, you know, I have been writing those offensive line rankings. <laughs> Now, Vikings sixth with, with a bet on the line, we will make sure that they get vetted by, you know, Renner or somebody there. Okay. So here's why this one's not crazy for it to actually happen. I'll probably accept it, but 
We've got Kevin O'Connell coming in, Sean McVay system. We've seen McVay turn offensive lines completely around. 2016 to 17 Rams went from atrocious offensive line to one of the best. They had one real blip in the McVay era with the Rams, 2019, I believe it was, with Jared Goff, where just the, the thing whole, the whole thing fell apart. But for the most part, they've done a nice job. It's kind of like Shanahan always creates offense, McVay, and that offense usually has a good offensive line, and they put them in position to succeed. And the Vikings were already creeping back toward average plus, right, with Christian Darasaw last year as a rookie. We already know Brian O'Neill's pretty good. Ezra Cleveland could be solid. The questions are going to be Garrett Bradbury coming back at center if they keep him there, and then Jesse Davis maybe stepping in at right guard. Ed Ingram looked good in the preseason, the rookie that they really liked. It's not crazy to think that they're going to be much improved, but I'm willing to accept the bet that they're not going to be top five, especially with Sam putting the rankings together and putting them at sixth whenever we need to. Yeah, I mean, I agree that they should be better. I think it's pretty crazy to say they're going from where they were to, to fifth um, or top, higher, top five. They finished last season's offensive line rankings 23rd, and that was up two from whatever the previous iteration of the offensive line rankings was. So they were heading in the right direction, albeit slowly. They were, in fact, legitimately creeping back toward average. Then Mike Renner wrote the offseason sort of preseason offensive line rankings, and they were 19th. So they've gone from 25th to 23rd to 19th in the last three iterations of these rankings, which I think is a fair interpretation of where that line is headed, which is slowly upwards towards average, I think it would take a minor miracle for them to get from there to fifth by the end of the season. So I am all for accepting this one. All right. PFF NFL podcast accepts this bet. We do. What do you think next week or the week after for a full show of these bets? Uh, yeah, sometime in there. We'll see. Sometime before the season, we'll have a full show accepting or declining all the bets you guys have sent in. Keep sending them in. NFL podcast at pff.com and all those places you can see on the screen here on YouTube. Contact us. Send send your bets in and we will accept or decline live on the air. Do we Sound accept good? all three of those? Did I we can I convince you to be less of a, you know, fence sitting winger? Yeah, man. Whatever. Just Perfect. accept. Let's just do it. Let's go. Gonna be buying a Kendrick Bourne jersey. <laughs> yeah, it's a Patriots. This is gonna jersey, be better. So, you know. This will be better than fantasy football. We're gonna be like Dr. Eager over here tracking a spreadsheet of bets all year and be yeah. like, oh, where's this one rank out of like seventy two bets? You know, how are we doing so far? Five weeks in, we're gonna have all these updates and yeah, it's going to be intense. Yeah, we will have we'll have the whole thing set up so that people can track along and monitor how we're doing relative to the fans over the course of the season. We'll have to get some of the imaginary interns to you know fill in how we're doing in that spreadsheet as well. That's a lot of work. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, we appreciate everybody for tuning in. That it, Sam? We done? I believe so. Yeah. You're going to go off to now practice. You're going to figure out. I got to get to practice. Yeah. yeah. Tell us who's playing okay. well, who's not. Tell us who's riding in the front or the back seat of the cart. I'll be keeping an eye on the, the golf cart for sure. Mm. I'm in the um, – I'm a little restricted. I'm in the family and friends section, not the media section. So oh. I'm a little little restricted. I'm with like moms and kids rather than, you know, our friends in the media. Do you, uh, do you line up, you know, with the kids after practice with like a little mini football for somebody to sign? No, there's like there's an art to like sneaking on the field. So you just kind of okay. like follow the family onto the field to kind of like act like you're talking to players and everything. Yeah, there's 
there's an art to that so that's what i usually do not 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 getting autographs here did you see the little video clip of when um case keenum dressed up as a fan yes. and tried to yes. get you know that's autographs good. from bills players right and there was that so that they would they turn around and be like yeah sure and then they they'd like double take yeah. you know when they realized it was him i'm imagining the same thing except the double take with you would be like yeah sure sonny you know <laughs> They, they turn around expecting some what? like small child and then like have to look up at the giant that's standing there with like a mini football and his giant oversized dustbin hands. Maybe I'll try that if we can get some uh, some footage. The thing I did want to do is grab Taylor Lewan and you know discuss PFF grades, have you know hash it out right there on the field. I'm sure that would go well. I, I can imagine that would only go well. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll see. I'll keep you updated if we go there. If, uh, see how bold we are. It's bold takes day, so we'll see how bold we get here at practice. You, you should. So you should t- get Taylor Lewan, and then you should just start feeding him like PFF conspiracy theories. You know. Oh yes. Like hey, if you yeah. want your grade to go up, all you got to do is you know sign up to these seven things yeah. and What's send this send an email not to not to like you know the, the, not to the official channels, but like to this specific email. That one gets routed to the right place. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Wessenberry gave me uh, Jeff Ruby's gift card. <laughs> and then before you know it, dude's graded in the 80s. Yeah, you know, yeah. So whatever you got here. We love Jeff Ruby's PFF NFL podcast. See, see what you can do. Yeah, you should come up with a really like intricate conspiracy theory about how you actually get your grades inflated and feed him that. Okay, now now the wheels are turning. Yeah. Hey, Taylor, say, yo, send me some cash. My cash app here. That's yeah, a little too this. simple. I think you got to go more intricate than that. I got my... Yeah. Got my PFF shirt on too. All right, he'd buy it. And then he'd probably tell everybody in his podcast. Oh, great. Looking forward to it. Anyway, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back on Monday. I'll have a full report on my uh, interactions at camp, and uh, we'll have some more preseason football to react to. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. See you Monday.